Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, after having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is a hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I'm excited you're listening in for season four, where I've been inviting monthly co-hosts to join me and share uh, her questions about faith. And then throughout the month, we talk with guests who are sharing their stories and also addressing some of my co-host questions. I want to start today by welcoming back my March co-host, Lucrezia. Lou, I am just so thankful for you. And so far, we've talked about your story and honest objections to Christianity. And I'm just so thankful for your vulnerability and openness and your willingness to just show up, even though I know this is a a busy season in your life. So thank you, Lou. Hi, thank you for having me once again. And (laughs) we're just kind of sticking with me and my rambling. Oh, Lou, I could listen to you ramble for the rest of my life. I love, <laughs> I love you. And you don't ramble. And here's the thing. Okay, now I remember why I wanted to jump on early with you. You know how I asked you to jump on early with me because I had a question. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask you the question that I was going to ask you. <laughs> so I was going to prepare you for this question. I didn't. Here it is now. Uh, how has this journey been for you so far, this podcast journey? What has stood out to you the most in it? Um. It's been really interesting. Um, I really like talking to the people we talk to. Um, I I really I really loved the conversation that we had in the in this week's episode. Um, it was really it was a completely new perspective for me. I never talked to someone with um, that kind of story, and I didn't know what to expect. And that's that's kind of a recurring theme, honestly, on this podcast. I, <laughs> I, every time I find out that the ideas I have about um, Christianity and, you know, um, religion are kind of just based on my uh, limited experience. Hmm. So it's been, it's been really fun and interesting. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, we'll talk more about that in our Patreon episode that we we record the two of us together, just Mm -hmm. recapping everything. And I think you're talking about, because this will air in a few weeks from now, uh, the episode with Drew Berryessa, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Very uh, challenging, uh, but very good conversation with him. Um, So I'm excited, Lou, that we're going to have one more episode after this. Um, For those of you listening, if you are a regular listener and you want to support us on Patreon 
Every little bit helps keep this show on the air, and we'd love for you to be invested in what we're doing here that way. Um, But today, we have a very special guest. I actually (laughs) have an embarrassing story of how I reached out to her, but maybe we'll talk about that. I don't know. I had been following her for a while on social media. Yes, I guess I will share this. Apparently, I wrote this down. And I thought, (laughs) I want to interview that girl. I Actually, I'd been thinking about it for a long time. And here's the thing. I saw her on Clubhouse, which is an app. And if you have an iPhone, you need to check out this app. It's very interesting. Um, DM me if you need an invite. I have a few extra um, that I don't tell people about all the time. So I'm telling you right now, if you listen to this podcast and you want to know what Clubhouse is and you have an iPhone, DM me on Instagram. Um, But anyway... I saw that she was there and I'd been praying like, oh, I need I need guests on my show and Lord, show me who to ask. So I saw her on there. I'm like, there we go. God answered my prayer. I show up and it was a room with just her and her sister. <laughs> That's a little awkward. Um, and if you've been on Clubhouse, you might know why, but it was great. Uh, so today's guest <laughs> is a wife, a mom, a Christian speaker and a podcast producer from the Pacific Northwest. She has a BA in theology and biblical studies from Multnomah University and uses her degree to help Christians pursue a deeper and more authentic relationship with the living God. While she speaks on many topics, she is most passionate about God's involvement in our pain and personal struggles, including mental illness, same-sex attraction, and abuse. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast, Brenna Blaine. Brenna, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to doing this since you came on Clubhouse. And I was like, I loved it because you were like, so just like enthusiastic. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I just, I I don't know. I feel like you're so inviting, like your presence. And so I was just, I've, I've really been looking forward to this and the way that you guys are doing the podcast right now is really interesting and something I've never seen before. And so I'm I'm really blessed and um, just honored to be a part of it. So thank you for having me. Uh, well, Brenna, I've been, you know, secretly stalking you um, on social <laughs> media for some time. And I love I love your ministry. And not only was uh, did you allow me to awkwardly crash uh, that clubhouse room and then, you know, message you later and say, I'm the girl who did that. Um, but then when we did finally meet on Zoom, I didn't tell you this, but <laughs> I may cut this part out. Um, I was under the influence of medicinal narcotics because I just had like a procedure that morning. And I was like, oh I'm not going to tell her. I'm not going to tell her. I think I can fake this pretty good, which turns out I did. You did. <laughs> I, I know. So... <laughs> So anyway, thank you for being here. And um, yeah, I find that people just relate to the awkwardness so often. But Brenna, um, before we begin, I know people are going to want to know more about your ministry and what you're doing at the end of this. And I don't want them to miss the opportunity to hear. How can they find you? Um, Share all the places. Yeah, so the easiest way would be on Instagram. And my handle is at bun on my head, all one word. Um, Or you can just look up Brenna Blaine no E at the end. I'm the only Brenna Blaine in the United States of America. It's pretty easy to find me. You, uh, all my uh, podcast and my blog and everything else is linked to my Instagram. But if you also just search Brenna Blaine on Google, you will find me very fast. Awesome. And there's some great videos on her Instagram feed too. So Mm. please check that out. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Okay. Um, So Brenna, 
Obvious question. You talk about some hard issues, um, including mental health, same-sex attraction, sexual abuse. These are tough things. Um, what's your story and why do you talk about those things? Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were actually pastors for the first couple of years of my life. So I knew God. Um, I knew about the Bible. I went to church. I very much grew up in the church. Every single weekend was there. And uh, it was just never something I really questioned. I thought it was really pretty normal. I thought everyone did that. And then around age nine, my grandma had passed away from cancer. And so for me, um, she'd had it for a few years. And that was kind of one thing that, you know, we prayed for healing for so long. And so that was one thing for me that I was like, wow, maybe God doesn't heal. Like that, that felt pretty sudden. And then shortly after that, um, and my parents were out of ministry at this point, but my, um, my parents sat us down, me and my siblings and said, you know, we're getting separated. And I had no idea why at the time my dad was moving out of the house and I had been really close with my dad. And I was definitely like a daddy's girl. And so that was really difficult. And then just a few months after that, I ended up being molested by basically a total stranger. And so for me, by the time I was 10, there was all these things in my life that I was like, okay, if God is good, first of all, like, why did this happen? And then also, no one's having conversations about these things with people my age, right? So I go to church and I'd be like, hey, God's good and um, he'll help you to obey your parents. And I'm like, yeah, sure, maybe I struggle with obeying my parents sometimes, but um, all, like I was abused and I didn't have the language to even say that. So like my parents had no idea. My parents actually ended up getting back together and staying married, which is like a beautiful story in itself, but it wasn't something that I even recognized as God's redemption until much later in my life. But um, so that was really, really rough. By the time I was 14, I was really depressed. I was self-harming. I was suicidal. And I also realized that I was attracted to women. And so for me growing up in a um, conservative, uh, theologically conservative church and environment, I knew like, okay, like I'm going to hell. That's it. That's basically it for me. And so I had a unique growing up because I was in, um, my mom started a Christian theater company. And so that's what I did because I was homeschooled. So that was like my social thing. But there's a lot of people in that theater company that were part of the LGBTQ community. And then there's just like a lot of supportive people um, who had maybe just a, a different, less um, strict view, I guess, than the conservative church. And so I told a few of my close friends that I was like, I think I'm gay. And they were, they were like, okay, whatever you do, like if you come out or if you don't come out, whatever you do, if this is how you're going to live your life. Like we love you. We see you. We care for you. But the only conversation that I heard in my faith community was, um, don't be gay. <laughs> if you're gay, it's sin and that's it. And there's like no nuance to this conversation. And so I, I really struggled. And of course, because my life was very much informed by my faith, I prayed, God, would you take these feelings away for so long, for so long and so consistently. And I was so scared. And I remember... Um, when I was around 15, I had a Tumblr account and just like a blog. And that's pretty much where I expressed um, how I felt about women. And so if you found it, it'd be really obvious that I was same-sex attracted. And someone from my church found it. 
sent it to my small group leader who told my pastor and I was just super, she told me about all that. I was super nervous. And I just remember going to church and my youth pastor being like, Hey, Brenna, you're not the only Christian that wrestles with this. Hmm. Like a lot of Christians wrestle with same sex attraction. And so for like, he didn't ever say like, you're wrong, or this is our church's stance or um, I'm concerned about you, or I'm going to tell your parents. It was like, none of that. It was just kind of like, Hey, I see you. And you need to know, like, one, it's a, you're not the only person in the world. And two, you're still welcome here. Like, so that was huge for me because I, I felt this sense of, like, I could still come. And I could mm-hmm. still, you know, kind of wrestle with, what am I going to do? So as I got older, uh, about a year later, I heard another sermon that I'd, I'd never heard this view before. But it was the difference between... Um, attraction and action. And so he was talking about how um, the, it, the sermon was specifically about is being gay sin. And when we asked that now, I think nowadays more people know that when you say I'm gay, it can mean 10 different things. And so that that's really important that you deal with the nuance and you talk about the nuance of that conversation. But he was talking about how um, he's, so he's a straight guy and how he got married and he's like, shocked that he all of a sudden like wasn't just attracted to his wife but he was still attracted to like women in general Mm -hmm. and how god provides the holy spirit like a way for us to not give into temptation and so he talked about that kind of how we like never view that when it comes to same-sex attracted people but how that's um we can still live in the tension of our attraction and not be sinning and so for me all of a sudden was like wait a second maybe I'm not sinning. Maybe this isn't as big of an issue as I felt like it was in my life. And I had tried dating some guy friends of mine and because I hadn't come out and it was just like this process that I was going through. And I think that conversation just rattled around in my brain for about another year. And I finally was like, okay, maybe I'll be alone for the rest of my life. Maybe I'll never get married. I don't know what's going to happen. But if I believe in this God and I believe that God has made a way for us to be radically obedient to him, then I think I should try it. Like, I think I should just step into this and see what it's like. And I just remember when I finally made that choice, like, I'm not going to live this lifestyle that the world is telling me is going to make me happy. And probably according to my flesh, I would be happy living this lifestyle. Um, I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace. And I still wrestle and I know some people know my story and I think um, like I, I ended up getting married to one of my friends, my friend Austin, and just my view on marriage changed and, and what I believe God calls people to in marriage. And um, but, you know, I still wrestle with same sex attracted and I'm not I'm not um, <laughs> I'm not I wouldn't say to someone like I'm straight, um, but I I live in this sense of peace and still wrestling with, okay, I'm still broken and I'm still in this broken world and this is still hard. And maybe during this lifetime, I'll never um, not wrestle with this, but I've got to know God in such a significant way that I don't think I could have known him if I didn't wrestle with same-sex attraction and same with, you know, being mentally ill. I have bipolar disorder. 
So some people say, well, don't you pray for healing all the time? And um, I do, I, I wouldn't say all the time, but I also view my mental illness as something that God so graciously allows me to be dependent on him through. And so um, when I got older, like around when I got engaged is when I was like, man, I think I started to feel convicted that I would talk about um, same-sex attraction, being a Christian, following Jesus, and um, with the non-affirming view more publicly because you think, at least for me, I was like, I'm, I'm, this, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And then you realize there's so many people mm. who are like, man, I'm, I'm same-sex attracted, but I believe in this conservative view of the Bible and can I live faithfully? to God. And so I just thought like, I need to talk about this. I need to talk about this so that other people can feel not alone and that we can commune together with God and with each other about, man, God works through these difficult things. Mm -hmm. The world says, man, I don't know about that. So yeah, that's a little bit of my story. (laughs) I mean, it's an amazing story. Lou, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I could ask a, a bunch of questions, but I'll let you. Yeah, you. if you want to start, I'll just, yeah. yeah. Well, it's so interesting to me hearing your story um, because I guess, as you've kind of alluded to, there's a different there's a different uh, approaches from the Christian community, right? There's mm-hmm. affirming, non-affirming, uh, people who say, well, those verses don't really apply. You know, I don't, there's a lot of nuance as you've Mm -hmm. kind of, (laughs) um, what made you decide to stay with the conservative view of, of the Bible? Like, and then by conservative view for somebody listening, who's not a believer, what does that mean? Um, conservative would be, I think there's like so many different ways to say it. It's definitely not, um, it's not tied to politics. Yeah. Uh, but it's there's also people would say um, like more I don't know if it's a slang term but like another term is B side so there's A side which is affirming B side and then um, which is non affirming or it's the historical ethical view of sexuality from the Bible mm-hmm. and so um, why did I decide to go with the conservative view so I that was all I'd ever known so I think growing up I didn't really wrestle with the theological questions because I didn't really know the conservative versus progressive arguments I just kind of knew the conservative world and that's so that's what made sense to me but then I ended up going to school for theology and I live in um, I live outside of Portland and so this is a more progressive area and I just have done so much theological studies, especially because I'm a woman who believes and feels called to teach. And people know that there's a lot of theological arguments surrounding that, that the, the theological um, thread. So if you're going to follow the theological thread of uh, this conservative view through the Bible, that's what maintains for me and what I believe that's what maintains scripture. And um, so like, this is going to be a poor argument, I feel like, but if I were to go to the progressive view and say, well, 
these things undo this, then I'd also be like, okay, well, if I take the same mindset or I do the same thing with the Greek and the Hebrew, then it also undoes what God talks about, um, divorce. So then marriage is no longer sacred. And then it undoes all these other things. And then it just, all of a sudden, the Bible doesn't make sense. It's a, it's a book of good advice. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I follow the threads, that's the, the thread that upholds the entire Bible is this conservative view mm-hmm. for me. So, yeah. yeah, I like the historical, ethical, is that what you called it? A uh, view of the, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's the correct way to say <laughs> yeah. it, but I think something like that. Alisa Childers calls it the historical view of Christianity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed her book, um, Another Gospel. Go ahead. What What does that mean? I mean, it's, I guess, more of a technical question, but I'm not really sure. Like, what do you mean when you say um, historical, ethical mm-hmm. view of the Bible or affirming or yeah. not affirming? So I might have, so, well, I'll, so non-affirming and affirming. So affirming would be that, um, the view that the Bible does affirm and support LGBTQ relationships. And then non-affirming would be the view that the Bible does not support LGBTQ relationships. So then when you say historical, if you look at, um, the Hebrew sexual ethic, like it's one man, one woman. And so when you say historical, it's going with. Um, it's also kind of the idea of, I think it it pushes against the idea that some people believe morality changes with time. So that, mm-hmm. you know, now it'd be like, well, back then the Bible was written this way because this is what morality was and this is what was good and this is what was bad. And now 2000 years later, good and bad mean, mean totally different things. And so the historical view would be what bad and good was, was back then is still today. Oh, okay. Thank you. Which is interesting, Lou, because didn't you, when we talked, you kind of alluded to that, yeah, how you kind of felt like yeah. it should change. So that's a great question. I mean, yeah, my point of view is that um, as we, I feel like this came out in some other episodes too but I'm not completely sure um, that um, I don't think we should take, we should take, a, we should take away um, the culture, the Bible was written in when talking about the Bible and what it teaches, because I feel like um, at least from what I've heard and my experience, um, it's something we do with a lot of things, like how we treat women like the church doesn't want you to treat women how they're treated in in the bible because it would be bad i mean um so like why do we change that keeping in mind our morality like nowadays and not other things Mm. so that's that's something i i don't really understand like it would be it would be a thing um i wouldn't agree but it would be a thing if you um followed every single um thing the bible said says um um like don't think not thinking about um the um ethics and moralities of you know 2021 and society nowadays but and it would be but i don't understand why we change some things and we just say, yeah, no, that other thing sh- should stay the same because I still think it's wrong. 
Mm, mm-hmm. Well, what what's your point then, though? Like, how do you choose? Mm. Where do you draw the line? Yeah, I think something that's really interesting, I think, man, I just got done reading this book called Jesus and John Wayne. That's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's a crazy book. It makes you, I think as a Christian, it makes me pretty frustrated, um, especially with Christian culture in America and evangelicals. Um, But something that I think is really radical that we don't often take time to think about or that we sometimes we just miss is that to me, um, like when I look at the Bible, I go, yeah, man, like um, like the the Jewish view of women wasn't like was not great at all. Or um, even how Rome treated women was not great and all these things. But then I look at how Jesus treated women. And the fact like that Jesus did call women to preach and teach and that Jesus did see women. And like, you know, I can think of um, the example of the woman at the well in the Bible. And she was um, she says that she had many husbands. And so this the fact that um, she was known in this view, she had this very um, particular like people probably talked about her and gossiped about her and knew about her in her community and and so I think if um, it'd be it would be right to say like if men saw her they'd probably walk the other way because it'd be bad to be seen with her and how Jesus didn't even think twice like Jesus went and met her at the well and said like man I have a different life for you to live and so to me I do think sometimes there are things where we're like, well, what about this? Cause the Bible did this and we don't like this. And for me, the answer or the question is always what, but what did Jesus do about that? Or how did Jesus live? Cause I do see Jesus living a radically different lifestyle than many of the cultural leaders in the biblical leaders in the Bible that we see. So that would just be my rebuttal. What do you think about that, Lou? <laughs> Okay, I have another um, more technical question. That's a good now, answer. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, especially I mean, talking about women, it's 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 a big deal, mm-hmm. of course. Um, uh, my my question is: um, so has Jesus like in the in the Gospels? Has Jesus kind of tackled all the sins that have been mentioned in the Old Testament, like? We, I mean, we. You said that people didn't treat women in a good way, but then Jesus did. But what about all the other things? Like, do we just assume that Jesus would like some? Like, do we just assume that Jesus wouldn't care about some of those things, or did he say something about specific things? And he was like, no, that's still bad, hmm. I, or I don't condone it at all. Yeah, that's a great question. I think Jesus did address a lot of things in his lifetime that um, especially that the Israelites and that the Jewish community did. I think Jesus, uh, I mean, I don't think we can read about the Pharisees. Like Jesus really angered a lot of the Jewish community. And then of course, Jesus angered Rome. And so he said, he said a lot and did a lot of things, but then um, there's this other, I don't even know what it's called. And I'm, um, I'm not an expert in it. I think I only studied a little bit of it in school, but how um, 
like a lot of people like to so like I have a lot of tattoos and so some people believe if you're a Christian you can't have tattoos and there's um, <laughs> a verse about it in Leviticus I believe and so when you read through Leviticus and um, Exodus and a few of these Old Testament law books there's a lot of laws and you're like, Oh my gosh. And like, one's like, you can't eat shrimp. And one's like, you can't cut the sides of your hair. And so a lot of people um, are like, well, then how can we do this? But then it also talks about homosexuality in those verses. So how can we follow the verses about homosexuality, but we don't follow the verses about eating shrimp or cutting our hair or the things that we do with our body. And part of it is that um, when Jesus came to be our sacrifice, so those the laws in Leviticus were like sacrificial um gosh there's an entire list I'm totally gonna butcher it but if you look up on YouTube anyone who's listening or interested the Bible project does a really beautiful job if you look up Leviticus we'll talk about the different laws and all that but how when Jesus came to die he was the ultimate sacrifice for us right and so the Jewish community would sacrifice lambs and other animals to pay for their sins and then when jesus died if you believed that jesus was the messiah you no longer had to make those sacrifices because jesus was the ultimate sacrifice just like you no longer had to go to the temple to be with jesus and to be with god and make those sacrifices like then god sent the holy spirit and so we live in this totally different new reality and so when God came, where when God sent his son, Jesus, to be that ultimate sacrifice, that undid some of the laws that are in Leviticus, Exodus, all those, um, the, the Old Testament. I can't verbatim say which ones. <laughs> like, I'm just going to. Okay, I'm but there's totally like a list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's, I think there's really, really um, articulate, smart people who've studied this and can explain it really well and that's not me <laughs> but I can just point I can point you to that and say I know that this is the answer for those things so okay does that answer your question though yeah I mean if there is a, if there is a list of, of like sins that you they're not considered sins anymore because Jesus that died on the cross then I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm like, okay. Well, <laughs> it answered my question then. And if you if you read the New Testament too, the the church as it was emerging, uh, you know, after Jesus went back to to his father, like they wrestled with these issues too. Like, what do we do now? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Do we still continue doing circumcision like we've been doing? Does that like have to happen? Does food sacrifice to idols? Do we like abstain from that? Like, what do we do? And so these questions are really good questions to have. But Jesus, like what you're saying, Brenna, like he had a lot of very specific things to say. Um, and even the things that he didn't specifically address, he he spoke to implicitly, you know, some of the things that he, he talked about, you know, Adam and Eve and, and these different things. And it, it's interesting, Brenna, because what you are talking about as a young woman um, in faith circles, and I'm guessing, do you also speak to people who are outside of the church? Do you get people who talk to you who are like looking in going, mm. what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, we just had Drew Barriessa on this program now a couple of weeks ago, but uh, just today uh, talked with him. And, you know, it's interesting. It is hard, 
hard work what you're doing because mm. there's attention on both sides. Uh, and I'm just wondering, um, I have this question, question uh, written down. So something I've noticed about you, Brenna, is that you engage well. Um, you're speaking into some hard places, um, places that I wonder if they're often fueled by fear um, and not necessarily unwarranted fear. Um, so fear for one, that people are trying to change what the Bible says because it doesn't match with modern sensibilities and moralities. And fear on the other end of the spectrum that says to um, say the active participation in LGBTQ uh, plus lifestyle is sinful is tantamount uh, to hate speech that is creating a culture of discrimination and bigotry. Mm. Uh, one of the questions Lou and I talked about during our first conversation with each other here on this podcast this month was whether the way people share their views on homosexuality um, and Christianity was harmful or whether what the Bible actually says is harmful. And Lou, uh, you admitted, um, and we talked about this before we got on with Brenna, that it, you believe it's both, that it's not just how people are expressing. Yeah, I do, well, I believe that, first of all, the people um, tend to express it in a way that just really kind of fuels hate um, towards a community that's already discriminated pretty mm. heavily against. And I don't think that, and I mean, it's just, it just kind of sits bad with me that, like, you know, someone like a Christian that should spread love um couldn't just um gives um oppressors that kind of um uh, argument on their side it's just it's the way but but i also um i just kind of disagree <laughs> with the bible i mean i'm <laughs> just gonna there's nothing like but that's i feel like that's another thing um because that's I, it's just my i have no like um proof of or evidence or anything on my side it's just my opinion right mm. because and i'm sure you have proofs for your opinion that said that being um homosexual is a sin and i have mine of like no it's it's a natural thing um so i kind of like kind of guess like Okay, we agree to disagree, but if there's something I really cannot stand is the way um, it just becomes discrimination after a while. And just feel uh, just feel like unjustified hate mm. and violence in some cases, and that's something I cannot I cannot um, stand. So Brenna, <laughs> what do you say to a culture? or perhaps a person right in front of you who says, it doesn't matter if you say you're about love and inclusion, if you also follow a book that to me preaches discrimination and intolerance. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would first, I would first want to address the fact that there has been so much like hate and evil and pain caused by people in the name of God. Like I, I would never want to deny that. And I know when I was growing up and, and wrestling with, do I come out or not? Like a huge thing was the Westboro Baptist church. Mm -hmm. That's been just known for 
picketing at pride festivals and even at people's funerals and just saying terrible, 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 unloving things and treating LGBTQ people as if they're not made in the image of God, which they are. They are made in the image of God and they are loved by God and they're seen by God. And um, something that I've noticed, I think, you know, even in my own life is that there are times when we as Christians feel as if we have to be the Holy Spirit or feel like God's not, maybe we, we, I don't think people would admit this, but like that God's not sufficient Mm -hmm. in what he does. And so, um, you know, I, I think I have a lot of, um, I think I have a lot of problems with saying that the, the belief about like someone's belief about sexuality can be discriminating if it's simply a belief i think if there are actions that are tied to it Mm -hmm. that are discriminating then it is discriminating but i look at um like i know like islam has certain beliefs about sexuality and i think a lot of people don't i think a lot of people go after the christian church because it's easier to rather than going after islam or going after like judaism has the same sexual ethic there's a lot of different religions that have a similar sexual ethic that um, I think people would be tread really carefully to not say that they're discriminative. But I do think that people out of a place of fear thinking like this person's going to go to hell or whatever, whatever they think or some sense of control rushing to tell other people um that they're going to hell or what they believe or whatever. And I've never, ever, 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 ever seen anyone come to meet the living God when they were told that they were going to go to hell or when they were told um, when they were bashed over the head with the Bible or, you know, like I see, um, you know, when my, I talk about this a lot in a lot of interviews, but I love in Mark chapter two, Jesus is uh, is walking and he meets a tax collector. And in the Jewish community, tax collectors were really hated because tax collectors were members of the Jewish community who were employed by Rome. And so um, Jews saw them as traitors because they were working for the government that hated Jews. And oftentimes when you were a tax collector, you... Um, they would take advantage of their fellow Jews and take more money from them or whatever, just treat them poorly. And so Jesus was walking through this community, comes across the tax collector, and I'm going to make sure I get the names right because I think I always get them wrong. His name was Levi. And um, I can just imagine that like all the the Jewish people who like knew and heard about Jesus were like waiting for Jesus to call this guy out and say like, hey, you're sinning. Like you're taking advantage of people, you're sinning, you're like living this terrible lifestyle and to set him straight. And like literally the quote in the Bible is that Jesus says, follow me. And then they, he gets out of his tax booth and they start walking and like, they just, they hang out. And then later that night says that he's at dinner with more tax collectors. So this guy's, this guy's friends in his community and that he's with sinners. And so that probably a lot of people or scholars would say, you know, prostitutes. 
and this idea that it's so profound to me that Jesus didn't call this guy out that he just said like hey do you want to hang out like that's basically what he said to him and had a meal with him and spent the day with him and this tax collector Levi if I'm getting this right became one of his disciples and I think it's Matthew that he became um which is profound like you when you think about Jesus in the in the new testament you think about his 12 disciples right like that's a common thing and to think about that this guy who's living this lifestyle that the religious group hated and condemned and didn't want anything to do with them that Jesus was like would you like to spend time with me and through Levi watching the life of Jesus that's how he was changed and that's how so it was like through this relationship of love that Matthew changed that Matthew became a follower of Jesus and so I think for me people will say well like why don't you talk more about the sin issue and the first thing is like I want to talk about um, what I've experienced because I don't think it's fair for me to say well you you're doing this wrong and point the finger Um, I think it's easier for me to share just man this is how God has changed my life and this is where I've seen God but I also think there, there's never a place where God says like, you need to clean up and change before you come to me. He just says, come to me. Like all who are weary. That's such a profound statement. All like not come to me, just the Christians who are weary or just the people who are living a lifestyle that I approve of come to me. He says all. And so the, I, I see a, a God. And when I read the Bible, I see a book that describes Jesus as someone who says, like, just be with me. And then I believe that the Holy Spirit is in charge of that change. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I have some, too much more to say on that. I just think a lot of people are really pressed on getting people to change before they come to Jesus. And I don't see the Bible requiring that of anyone. And I think that's where Christians, and I've done it myself, like, I think that's where we get things wrong. When we require something of people before they come to Jesus, where it's like, God is sufficient. The Holy Spirit's sufficient. Like, he's going to do what he's going to do. Like, you can love well. That's what we're called to do. So I love that. It reminds me, I had a conversation with a pastor um, from Portland, actually, Mm. on here. Um, a few months ago, Josh White from Door of mm-hmm. Hope. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And uh, we'll link that in the show notes. But one of the things he said is, uh, you don't front load the gospel, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, and he said, when he sees people come to the Lord every time, it's, um, and I'm going to misquote him here, but it's basically saying like, it's that love, like that, that calling to somebody and saying, I see you and it doesn't matter you know, this is Jesus, I see you and it doesn't matter. I, I'm meeting you where you're at right now. And here's an invitation to come uh, and meet me at the table kind of thing, you know, and, and I'm totally mis, uh, quoting Josh, you're gonna have to come back on the podcast sometime so we can <laughs> clear that up. Um, but something that I've had people on this podcast share before, which I think is really true, is that the Christian ethic of sexuality, the, the, 
for lack of a better term, traditional view of uh, Mm -hmm. the Bible view, the non-affirming view of uh, homosexuality that the church takes um, so often. It it makes no sense to the outside world. It it doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense. Um, So for somebody listening to this who maybe does identify or feel like that's part of who they are, same-sex attraction or the LGBTQ+, um, they identify with some of that. What what good is the gospel? Why choose, like, why, why accept an invitation from Jesus going, Hey, you know, come to me because from the outside looking in, do they see like a bunch of rules that they have? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what is the message that Jesus offers Brenna that you found that you can't find anywhere else? Yeah. Well, I think first I just want to preface this by saying like, when I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I really was like, it's either, like my choices are hell or like believe in this, you know? And, and then when I look at my life in high school in this like inching closer and closer and closer and closer to who, like knowing God, that's when I was compelled to be like, oh, wait a second, maybe you know what's best for me. So there with, and I think about this all the time with um, the, historical ethical view of sexuality like I don't have an answer as to why that is the way it is like I I will personally be asking Jesus when I meet him face to face why why is it one man one woman why did you make it that way but in my time here on earth I the Bible says um in in so many different places in so many different ways like we will be called to bear our cross and we will have to die to our flesh. Like the New Testament talks so much about um, like Christianity is not easy. Like you will have sorrow. This life is not easy. And I just think about the fact that I think I so when when I talk about this specific, when I talk about the fact that I'm same-sex attracted and I live a different lifestyle, people always say, why don't you just do what makes you happy? Mm. And to me, I'm like, man, I would love to do what makes me happy, but happiness is not lasting. Peace and joy are lasting and eternal life with Christ is ultimately lasting. And so when I think about um, why do I live in this, what some people call radical obedience to Christ is because I have found lasting peace with God that I've never found anywhere else in, in the world. And it took me a long time to get there. And it takes some, it takes other people longer and other people shorter, but I searched Like I searched in high school. I did so many different things, tried to find happiness in so many different things and nothing ever lasted. And I felt empty. And some people know, like um, before I knew I was bipolar, um, I had uh, a, a really, it was five months long of just, it's called mania. And I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating and I wanted to die. I wanted to die. I just wanted to take my life. And I remember one day I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to go home and kill myself. And someone randomly felt the need to pull over their car and pray for me. 
And they did that. And while they were praying for me, they felt like God said, go to her work and get her. So someone drove to my work. Like there was no contact or anything. Drove to my work, got their car and said, Brenna, do you, I need to take you to the hospital right now? And I was like, no, I'm fine. And I just remember saying, Brenna, like, do you need this? And she took me to the hospital and I got checked in and I was on suicide watch and I was sitting at the end of my bed. I was like in a locked room. It looks like, um, like kind of like an insane asylum, but not really, but kind of sitting at the end of my bed, completely alone. I couldn't see my husband. I couldn't call anyone on the phone sitting at the end of my bed, just like, I'm, I'm alone. I'm so alone. And then I remembered that verse where it's like, and the peace that transcends all understanding will be with you when you call upon God. And I was like, well, that's all I have. Like, that's all I can do right now. So I might as well try it. Like, and this was uh, like three, three and a half years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. I was in ministry. I was actually working as a high school youth pastor at the time. So I had like, I had faith. I knew who God was, but I was just in this place of emptiness. And I just sat at the end of my bed and said, okay, God, like, this is it. Like, I need you to be with me because I have nothing else right now. And the sense of peace that I received in that moment will be for me something I will never, ever, ever forget. And like in that moment, all over again was like, God is real. And God is with me. And if he can give me this sense of peace when all I want is to die, if he asks me to do something that's difficult and I, even I don't understand why, I want to be able to do it because he's so worth it. Hmm. And so, you know, maybe that's not a great answer, but this world is so full of brokenness and there's so many people who've never tasted real hope. And it's not like, I don't want this to come across as like the exchange of your obedience gives you hope. But what I do want to say is if you just take a chance and try calling out to God, like in those moments, like just give it a try. There's nothing you have to lose. If you're hearing this and you're like, I have no idea what that sense of peace is like, like just try calling out and then like get to know God and God will lead you out into those places. But that's that's where I live a radical, what looks like to the world a radical lifestyle is because I know peace and I've received peace and I live in a life that's in peace because I have God and that's what he gives me. I think you answered the question. And it's really, really beautiful. I'm going to let Lou ask the final couple questions here because she's got them. Yeah, okay. Um, this question we've, we wanted, I mean, it's something we talked about in the first episode. And um, it doesn't really, I guess it's kind of its own thing, but I'm mm -hmm. going to ask it anyway. Um, so how can you, okay, um, like let's, let's like uh not forget but just kind of keep it like put aside the fact that the question is god real mm -hmm. okay um how how are you so sure that god cares or that god is good when there's so there's there are so many 
horrible, cruel thing happening in the world, even to people who are, who are actually good and did nothing wrong and didn't deserve what they got. And maybe even people who believe in God. Mm. Yeah, I, I, when I look at the Bible and what I read in the Bible is that um, because God is good, he didn't make us robots. So I think that's the ultimate act of love aside from Jesus dying on the cross was the fact that God made humans, God created humanity. And then instead of saying like, I'm going to force you to love me, I'm going to force you to believe in me. He said, you get, you get to choose, you get to decide, you get to discover, you get to do all these things. And so part of that is allowing people the choice. So like Adam and Eve, they had the choice. Do they want to sin or did they want to listen and follow God? And so um, when I when the question is, how can you believe in a loving God if there's evil in the world? Um, those two things in my mind don't really go against each other because I go, well, God was loving enough to not make us robots and to let us have our own choices. And so with evil in the world, like we get to make our own choice. Like I could choose, I could very easily choose um, to live the way I wanted to live. And if that was so, that'd be like, I'm going to be super honest. I love money. (laughs) I love money. My husband and I, we don't make that much. Um, And so it would be easy for me to be like, well, I'm going to cheat this person out of money or, um, or I'm going to live the lifestyle I want to live or, you know, it's natural for us to want to live a selfish life. I think I believe that. Um, Yeah. I, I think I understand what you mean. Just, I guess what I struggle with is like, okay, then God, let's say God exists and he is good. And then how like can a seven year old kid die for cancer? Mm -hmm. Like after, after, after suffering for years, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, uh, that's that isn't the consequence of a choice the kid made mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I mean again it goes back to the origins of sin entering the world and when sin entered the world also darkness and um, sickness you know for me we lost um, a baby I was pregnant in September we lost our baby before so I had a miscarriage and um that is something for me has that's been a question okay God if you're good if you're loving how could I lose a child that never got the chance to live like that makes no sense to me if I'm being completely honest but there's still this sense of like even when I don't understand I I've experienced God and his peace and his love enough that that will be a question when I meet Jesus again, face to face saying, why did, why does this have to happen? Why do good people have to suffer? Why do children have to die? Why do babies who never get to live exist and then don't? That's wild to me. But again, I, I, logically it makes sense when we look at back at the origins of sin entering the world then also darkness and death and decay um is a is a consequence of sin entering the world so okay thank you and i'm 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 sorry hmm. for what what happened to me 
Thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely something hard, you know, because all of us, none of us will escape this world without experiencing the effects of evil and sin. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take you very long to live before you've felt some of the effects. And I know for me, uh, the period of time where I questioned God's existence the most was after some miscarriages. So I, mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. It's like, you know, um, it's really hard. But without God, I mean, it loses any, there's, mm-hmm. there's no hope. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's this great passage in scripture where, and Lou, we might have talked about it before, maybe with Alan, I can't remember um, if it was you that we were talking about this, but where the disciples are around Jesus and he's given this really hard talk to a crowd of people. And it's kind of like drink my blood, (laughs) my Mm. flesh kind of thing. And it doesn't make any sense to the people who are listening and they all take off and they leave and the disciples are still there. And Jesus turns to them and says, are you going to leave too? And they turn to him. And I, I think it was Peter. I don't remember, but he says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life, you know, like I, we could choose. It doesn't say this. I'm paraphrasing or, you know, conjecturing, but we could turn to go away. We could turn somewhere else. We could say, forget that. I don't want you. Or we could look at who you are and go, are you the hope of this world? Like you say you are. And uh, for me, that's where, that's why I hold on to him. Brent, I know we're short on time and Louis, we've got one final question. Do you want to ask the, the final question? So. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those four gifts that we can find in a relationship with Jesus Christ, which of those stand out to you the most in your life right now and why? Definitely authenticity, um, because I, I grew up in a church culture and lived a life of um, we can talk about some things, but we can't talk about other things. And for me, I, I, you know, I wondered a lot about a lot of things, you know, obviously my sexuality, but a lot of other things. And then I started leading youth and I had youth say, man, this is my biggest, darkest secret, or this is my biggest, darkest doubt, but I don't want to talk about it with anyone else. And to me, it was always like, well, why, you know, like, why not ask God your questions? Why not struggle with this with God? Like, why do it alone? And um, it's a shameless plug, but that's kind of why we started um, Can I Say That podcast was because there's this verse in Isaiah and it talks about that God dwells in eternity. And, you know, so I don't want to say like, <laughs> I don't... I think this is an interesting way to view. It might not be the theological correct way to view, but God dwells in eternity. And when I heard that, I thought like, if God takes up all this space, like if God is so big, he literally dwells in eternity. Doesn't that mean he takes up the space in these areas that we think are off limits to God or that we think we need to hide from God or that we think we can't question God about. And so for me, um, I've, I've gone to know God more through my questions and through my friends' questions and through my friends' like doubt and my doubt and, and my wrestling because I've been met in so many surprising ways. And, you know, it can be, it's been, it's been things like, you know, should 
can Christians cuss? Like I have so many young kids who like struggle with that or like I live a double life. And I'm like, let's actually talk about this. Who are like, no, we can't. We're in church. And I'm like, yes, we can. We should because we're in church. Like we should talk about these things because if they they matter to you, I also know they matter to God. And so I think God meets us in this radical authenticity that we often don't even realize or notice or think. Um, I think it's a facet of God that people don't often explore. But I, I know like God can handle our questions and our doubting and our wrestling. And I think he wants to meet us within that, within authenticity. So. Wow. Well, I'm just really thankful for this conversation. Lou, as always, just so thankful for you. And I'm excited for us to maybe get together in about a week and talk through some of these things and maybe an opportunity for you to re-listen to some of the conversations and see where we're at after all this. It's (laughs) been a joy. It's just been a joy spending time with you. You know, I love you and um, I'm just thankful for you. Thank you for not being able to say no and doing this with me. (laughs) Well, um, love you too. And I mean, I, I think I tell you every time, but, um, I'm not lying. I actually mean it (laughs) that I really enjoy having these conversations. Mm. Just, it's not an opportunity that you get, um, that often, I think to have just open conversations about, um, doubts and things like that with people who have a different point of view. So, um, I'm really glad I got to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm thankful for you. And Brenna, I just, I'm just so glad that you uh, (laughs) said yes. And we got to talk like this. And thank you for catching the vision of this podcast and sharing your heart and your story. And I just know God's going to continue to do beautiful things through you and your ministry. And so until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.